You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from the leadership ministry team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. Join our email listserv, contact us, and find more resources from leadership ministry at tmf-fdn.org. Hi, friends. I'm Lisa Greenwood, here again with my colleague Blair Thompson-White for another summer soul-tending bonus episode. Hey, Blair. Hey, it's kind of hard to say, isn't it? Summer soul-tending, but there we are. We're back again. (laughs) Yes. We have chosen conversation partners this summer who can help us consider how it is with our soul and who can inspire us to pay attention to how the Spirit is at work in our lives and and really those who can encourage us to engage in practices that can renew and recenter us if we've been a little knocked off center these past few weeks or months or years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so our guest today is Reverend Joe Stabile. Joe is a United Methodist Church pastor as well as co-founder and animator of Life in the Trinity Ministry in Dallas, Texas. He has served in vocational ministry for more than 40 years. With combined experiences in local church pastoral ministry, spiritual direction, retreat leadership, pastoral care, and mentoring, in addition to serving as associate pastor at First United Methodist Church in Dallas, Joe leads the contemplative cohort at Life in the Trinity Ministry. Blair, what stood out to you in our conversation with Joe? I just love being around Joe. I just, I love it. I, do too. I, uh, I wish I had time for that contemplative cohort because it would, I think it would just be so centering. <laughs> but this is a nice like preview of it, this conversation we had with him. I mean, he just, I was saying earlier, he oozes spirituality. That may not be the like best way to phrase it. But, but being <laughs> with him, I, you know, it's been so hot this summer. And I feel like it's like jumping in a cool pool when you're with him yeah. because you feel oh, so refreshed. So nice you feel so refreshed that, and you just can tell the spirit is with him. And as he tells his story and invites us into it, I mean, it's he lives his life with this posture of discernment of the spirit. Yes. And I, you know, you kind of look at his story and you think, well, how in the world is he now at first church downtown as an associate, right? <laughs> and it's and the answer, of course, is the spirit yeah. led him there, yeah. and he's so faithful to go wherever the spirit is leading. So that same thing stood out to me as we listened to his story. And there's some major things that happened in his story as he moved from being a Catholic priest to now he's Methodist pastor and, and uh, many things along the way. And you'll, you'll hear that in, in the, the interview, in the conversation. But along the way, you know, he's clear that he is centered in the presence of God and the leading of the Spirit. And and it's because of these spiritual practices. I, I long for that. And it and when you listen to Joe, it seems doable. Right. Yes. Because it you know, he has this this really uh, generous understanding of what spiritual disciplines are and what it means to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And I mean, he, he names some of those classic disciplines and digs into them and, and shares which ones um, were particularly relevant for different times of his life. Um, and of course, he says centering prayer is, is the constant. And he's been doing centering prayer since 14. I mean, can you imagine how that would, of course, he's oozing spirituality if right. he's been doing <laughs> right. centering prayer since 14. But I do, I do think that it is inspiring to hear his his testimony because it, it does make you consider your priorities and consider, okay, um, how am I spending my time? And yeah. am I putting myself in rhythms that allow for 
meet yes. us, to be present to God's presence in the world. Let's listen to our conversation with Joe. Joe, thank you for being with us today. It's an honor and it's a thrill to get to see you all and be able to talk with you. Great. Blair and I've been looking forward to it. And and I have to say that as I've been thinking about it, I was remembering back to how long I've known you and been watching your ministry and been um, influenced by it. And and it goes back actually to my seminary days and you were appointed to my parents' church and my mom just fell in love with you and your ministry and the way that you sing and pray and lead. And so I have had this tender place in my heart for more than 30 years um, for you oh, and for your you. ministry. So thank you so much. It's, um, it's great to be here today and to get to talk about really the kind of ministry that I think you embody. Um, because as Blair and I were talking about soul tending and what it looks like to live a life of discernment and contemplation and really paying attention to the Holy Spirit, we thought of you. And and so will you share with us a little bit about your spiritual journey? Okay, well, uh, happy to. As you all know, uh, my spiritual journey started a long time ago as a young boy wanting to be a Roman Catholic priest. I entered high school seminary at the age of 14, studying to become a member of the Congregation of the Mission, which is better known as the Vincentian Fathers. Our major work in the United States was seminary education. So we knew going into the seminary that ultimately, most likely, we would end up with degrees that would allow us to teach in seminaries, whether they were high school seminaries, college seminaries, or theologates throughout the United States. Uh, And that was my life, uh, starting Mm -hmm. spiritual practices at the age of 14 in high school seminary, boarding school, and then from there going on into the novitiate for two years where that was emphasized even more so prior to taking vows and going through college and theology school. So it was, it was really my whole life and everything I had ever wanted to do. Uh, and as you all know from just knowing me that I was a Catholic priest until I was 40 years old, always very open. I felt very open to where God was leading, what God was wanting and, and doing and felt like, I had been totally, completely faithful to God by responding to the call to the priesthood. As I was serving as a Catholic priest in the Amarillo area in Pampa, Texas, and Canadian many, many years ago, and had an extraordinary spiritual experience of an experience of healing uh, and participating in a healing service in Amarillo that Hmm. changed my life completely. So... Having had that experience, I ended up coming back to the Dallas area in the community with the understanding that I would be in a local parish, but also have the opportunity to do parish missions, what we in the Protestant church would call revivals. (laughs) And so I began that work as I came back to Dallas and then began to work with Suzanne, who was a lay woman in the church, 
and uh, we were doing the work together in Catholic churches all over the country, which was the the beginnings of life in the Trinity ministry. And I never thought of doing anything else uh, in the experience. As we did that work for several years together in the Catholic church, I became disillusioned with the the role of the hierarchy mm. and the role of women in the Catholic Church and the role of the laity in the Catholic Church. We were advancing the changes of Vatican II. And I loved all of the things that John the Twenty Third had done and Paul the Sixth to move the church forward. And then unexpectedly we got invited to come to Rome <laughs> in nineteen eighty seven to explain to then Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, what we were doing together as a priest and lay woman traveling around the country. And in the process of all that, and there's a much bigger story behind all of that, but in the process of all of that, again, following where I felt God was leading and God was guiding, I chose to leave the priesthood and then chose to marry Suzanne. She had been divorced and chose to her to marry her. And I never honestly ever expected to get to be back in ministry mm-hmm. again. And it was just sort of by uh, God's lead and God's direction that I got led back into ministry in the United Methodist Church. And I knew nothing <laughs> about Methodism. I knew nothing about the Methodist Church. All I knew is Suzanne had been raised Methodist before she converted to Catholicism and was a member of my church. Coming back into the United Methodist Church to find that bishops really don't have all that much authority to make decisions about policy (laughs) and doctrine, that uh, indeed women have an incredibly wonderful position in the United Methodist Church. And The laity have a lot of power in the United Methodist Church. So the very things that I had become disillusioned with in the Catholic Church, I found in the United Methodist Church. And the church was gracious enough to accept me back into ministry here in the North Texas Annual Conference. There's lots of stories, and we don't have time for all of those things. But as I applied for entrance into the the Methodist Church, I was called by a district superintendent who happened to be in the Central Texas Conference, not ours, because I sent my letter to the wrong bishop. Uh, And he said, wouldn't it be wonderful to have the winds of the United, of the winds of another denomination blow through the United Methodist Church. Beautiful. So I felt very welcomed in, in coming into ministry. And very honestly, all of the gifts and graces of being able to serve in the North Texas Conference and all of the churches and the ways in which I've been able to do that has uh, been a blessing even to this day when I find myself as a retired clergy person, but still active and in a part-time basis at First United Methodist Church in downtown Dallas. But the, the key to all of that has been the, the very strong grounding of a life lived within the religious order and beyond of spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices, all of which have just kept me open in the whole process uh, of all these years to the working of the divine in my life and the discernment of 
where's God leading? Where's the spirit moving? What are the road signs? How am I going to be faithful in following the example of Jesus? What's God's, what's the next right thing for me to do? The next right step to take. And I think it's because of those years of spiritual practice, spiritual disciplines that I was formed in. And I'm grateful while I have no desire to be back in the Roman Catholic Church, but I'm grateful for all that I learned there and all that I experienced in terms of spiritual practices and spiritual wisdom that led me to this point. So I I try to blend the two, my Catholic heritage, my Methodist love, and move forward. It strikes me listening to you, Joe. I'm, and, and let me say, I so appreciate the, the, the candor and generosity of spirit with which you share your story. And, and I'll admit that all the years I've known you and Suzanne, um, I've heard Suzanne tell that story a number of times, but I've never heard you tell it. And, and I think about the role that, that you share these spiritual practices have, have played, which speaks to the power of them and to your your groundedness and and connection with God because I I think about that story and and though though you offer it with with um, grace and generosity I think if if I were to take one moment in that story or another moment where you are wrestling with and um, I think you use the word disillusioned with the hierarchy of the church and I think how painful that must have been and how kind of gut-wrenching to this church that had kind of birthed you and formed you and given shape, and yet you were rubbing against it. And um, Or I could pick another moment, perhaps like being called to I mean, the ultimate principal's office in Rome and, and how that must have been as you're flying over and as you're about to walk in. I mean, I don't know. I'm making this up, right? I'm, I'm just imagining these moments in your life and and that the the role of of your deep faith and spiritual practices must have played along the way. If I can respond to that, Lisa, I would say I think uh, what what the spiritual disciplines and spiritual practice and the enormity of silence that I lived in in mm-hmm. all of those years in the community gave me an extraordinary sense of trust. Yeah in mm. God's lead and an extraordinary uh, mm. sense of trust in discerning mm. that it was the right thing for me to do. So when I chose to leave the priesthood, I come from an Italian Catholic yeah. family, you know, put that in there. <laughs> and I had served here in Dallas at a Catholic church, two different times in Dallas. My father was a, permanent deacon in the Dallas Catholic Diocese. My mother was in charge of the Ladies of Charity and the volunteers at the Catholic Hospital. Suzanne taught in a Catholic high school. We were well known here in the Dallas community when I chose to leave. But it's one of those cases when you know Mm -hmm. that you know that you know that you're doing the right thing. When you know that you know that you know that you've discerned correctly that you've responded obediently to the call. So I have always felt that I have no doubt in my mind that I was called to the priesthood. I have no doubt in my mind that God called me away from the priesthood and into the married life. 
And I have no doubt after 33, 34 years in the United Methodist Church that God has called me into ministry in the United Methodist Church. And where I find myself today is continuing to be prayerfully discerning Mm. of the next right thing. When it was time to retire, do I retire and stop completely? Do I retire and stay in ministry part-time or continue to do what I'm doing? What do we do with life in the Trinity Ministries? It's that ongoing, perpetual, prayerful discernment of what is the next right thing and how will I know that I am doing what I was called by God to do. So I tell everybody, I, I, I guess at least for now, I know I'm supposed to be a semi-retired United Methodist pastor. I don't nice. know what next week will bring. But prayerfully, <laughs> because of the discernment and because of the prayer and the disciplines, I'll know when it's time. So I wonder if you could take us deeper into those disciplines. Um, when I hear you say that that you develop this deep trust in God's lead, I think, well, yeah, I want that. I'd like more yeah. of that, please. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So, so how? Tell us about the classic disciplines, and then I'm also wondering that how they have, you know, how you've maybe leaned on certain disciplines during one season of life, and now you're leaning on others. So, how has how have your your engagement in those disciplines changed over the course of your spiritual sure. journey? Well, first, let me back up and say there are seven classical spiritual disciplines that are uh, recognized by all three of the Abrahamic religions. Mm. So Muslims and Jews and Christians all honor and recognize these seven classical spiritual practices, just so you know that what they are. They're, They're a fixed hour of prayer, fasting. Sabbath keeping, a sacred meal, pilgrimage, sacred seasons, and one which I, I don't think anybody would look at or think about as a classical spiritual discipline, but giving. Mm. And the joy and the gift of those classical spiritual practices, and I'm, we don't have time to go into each and every one of those, but that says something about us as children of Abraham and the potential that we have because as Christians, Muslims, and Jews, we are more than 50% of the world's population. The potential we have to influence the world and influence for good or for ill, depending on how we, we live our lives. Of those classical spiritual practices, the ones that still are very dear to my heart is is fixed hour of prayer when i mentioned that i started in seminary at 14 at 14 years old we started they started us i should say with morning prayer and midday prayer and vespers and compline in the evening those parts of the breviary that priests say and those fixed hours of prayer so Next Monday, I turn 75. I've been using fixed hour of prayer since I was 14 years old as a way of staying connected with the holy. And fasting, we did a lot of fasting in the order. And we, as United Methodist members, are encouraged to fast. I don't know how many of us do that. 
with any of John Wesley's fasts on Wednesdays or Fridays, but we're encouraged. Sabbath keeping has always been important to me. So in my years of ministry, even as a United Methodist pastor, Suzanne and I used to keep Sabbath always on Mondays because we were working on Sundays. So from Monday evening, Sunday evening until Monday evening, we would keep Sabbath together. And it's intended to be a time of delight, a time of prayer, and a time of play. And it's, it's crucial and it's important that we're caught up in, in the, the muchness and the manyness and the busyness of our lives. And very few of us, I think, take a day to, to do that. The sacred seasons has always been important to me and most important of all, the, the sacred meal. So uh, even in churches, Methodist churches that I've served, encouraged as many of those as often as possible to celebrate the Eucharist until even we got to a church where we did it every single Sunday. And Mm -hmm. I just think it is absolutely crucial. And when I'm not in, in a church that's doing it on a regular basis like that, we even take advantage of doing it here at home sometime around the dinner table with a group of friends or, you know, with family members in, in some way that uh, we can continue those practices. So I think those are, those are the classical ones and they're essential. There's a wonderful definition, uh, and I'm going to come back to because I think centering prayer, contemplative prayer, a sit, is by far the most important spiritual practice that anyone can do at all. I'll come back to that one in a minute. But we get caught up, I think, thinking spiritual practices have to, I do my daily devotional, I give, I read my Bible, I'm generous with people and I do loving things. And, you know, so we, those are all wonderful and all great. But James Finley, who is a psychologist in California, he was a novice with Thomas Merton at Gethsemane has the most wonderful definition of a spiritual practice. He said it's any act, which is great. That makes it really broad, doesn't it? Any act (laughs) habitually entered into with your whole heart. So you go back to it over and over and over again with your whole heart that awakens, deepens and sustains within you a contemplative experience of the inherent holiness of the present moment. Any act habitually entered into with your whole heart that awakens, deepens, and sustains within you a contemplative experience of the inherent holiness of the present moment. That expands spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices so widely that we can all find something. You know, it might be your daily devotional. It might be reading scripture. It might be singing spiritual songs. It might be breaking, baking bread. It might be gardening outside. It might be Mm -hmm. writing poetry. And you just can expand that. So it doesn't make any difference what the act is. It awakens and deepens and sustains within you. When I do this act, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. I feel the nearness of the holy in that moment. And so what Mm -hmm. you do is you go back to it over and over and over and over and over again. And that Mm. awakens and deepens our spiritual journey and our spiritual walk. So I think I always say anybody 
go find that, whatever that is for you, sitting by the river, uh, looking at the mountains, uh, whatever it is, and you go back to it so that you experience and feel that nearness. I have to go back because I've taught for years and years and years that indeed the most powerful spiritual practice, and I'm grateful for the 61 years that I've been doing it, is contemplative prayer and uh, centering prayer. They're all same words, a sit, 20-minute sit, because it is... I've, it is the simplest form of prayer. It is absolutely the easiest form of prayer for anyone to do. And the only thing you can do wrong in centering prayer is not do, not show up. The only thing you can do wrong is to walk out of it. And it is simply a wordless trusting and opening of yourself to the divine presence. It's that simple. And so it, I have to say, it feels like work. It feels hard to do. And in the busyness and the muchness of our lives, many people say, how in the world do you find 20 minutes to just sit <laughs> and not think and not feel? Because you're letting go of thoughts and you're letting go of feelings. And you are sitting in, in the presence of the holy. 90% of centering prayer is about your intention. What is your intention when you sit for this 20 minutes? What's your intention? And your intention is to be totally open to God. Those six words, to be totally open to God. And then, as my dear friend Richard Rohr says, what happens to you during that time, what God does within us is none of your business. But God's <laughs> going to do something with you. God... As St. Augustine says, God does this interior rearranging. <laughs> God does this interior work within us in that 20 minutes when, when you sit. And I think that has, has been, for me, uh, the most significant, the most powerful spiritual practice that I've ever done. And in the moment, if you get up from your 20-minute sit and you think, nothing happened. I didn't get anything. I just sat there. I had all these thoughts that I had to let go of. I had all these feelings that I had to let go of over and over and over. Nothing really took place. But the, the fruit is born out in your life in other ways, in other places down the line when you least expect it. And you are aware that in those moments when you do this over and over and over on a regular basis, that you feel, you, you experience that contemplative union of your heart and God's heart in those moments. Wow. One of the notes that I've made here, as I've taken many notes during your sharing, um, is this the quote from James Finley about any act habitually entered into. So I'll stop at that phrase. And I think... Okay. Yeah, I think it's so interesting how many of us would say we regularly habitually enter into scrolling our Facebook and Instagram feeds. <laughs> and um, what would it be like if we just made a little shift and spent 20 minutes sitting in, in contemplative prayer? And I think that's really connected to the next question I'd love to ask you about burnout in the church and times that we feel most disconnected from God. You know, you've served in the church for a long time, and I'm just wondering, as you look at 
leaders today and, you know, those who are in the midst of maybe feeling a little burnout or lost or a dark night of the soul. I'm just wondering how you can help us to connect some of these practices and disciplines to an antidote to burnout, really. uh, Again, I I would start with centering prayer. Um, Mm. There's something about silence. Every faith belief that I'm aware of holds that human transformation is possible. But in order to get there, every faith belief holds that silence is non-negotiable. So if mm-hmm. you if you really wish to get to that place, then there has to be in your life periods and times of, of silence from the muchness and the many. I keep coming back to that phrase, I'm sorry. The muchness <laughs> and the manyness and the noise and the crowds and hurry. Richard Foster said that 40 years ago. <laughs> that the tools of the devil are muchness and manyness and noise and crowds and hurry, like Quaker author Richard Foster. That was 40 years ago. That was before computers, before iPhones, before. So we are yeah. caught up in the mm-hmm. muchness and the manyness and the noise and the crowds. Right. And all of that distracts us and all of that keeps us from being aware of of the inherent holiness of this present moment. Right now, right now while we're talking, Mm. God is holding each and every one of us in in the warmth of his love. And and we can be aware of that, that just this is a holy moment right now. To to be able to sit with friends and have a deep conversation is is holiness. We have to find those kinds of things. Priorities is huge. We're going to burn out, especially now, Mm. especially now coming out of COVID. The church is not going to be back where it was. It's not going to be the Mm. same. 40% of ministers are leaving ministry now because Mm. we were not educated and trained in seminary how to deal with COVID and how to deal (laughs) with ministry during COVID. And nothing in our seminary education taught us how to do virtual worship when everybody's locked in at their house? How do you do congregational care if you're in charge? During during the time I was director of congregational care in, in a church that had 16,000 members, how do you do congregational care during COVID? And, and, and nothing trained us and educated us for those kinds of things. So if, if we don't have something that feeds us, if we don't have something that allows us to to know that in this very second, God's holding, God's loving, God is present, God cares about where I am and what I'm experiencing right now. And that's what those spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices all do. They give us a, a touchstone where we can say, I'm, I'm touching and I'm, I'm engaging with something that's bigger than me something that I can depend on when I get up in the morning and I don't have the energy to face another day of difficulty and problems. Those kinds of priorities, I think, become essential. And as I said about silence, I, I think it's it was crucial. All the, the years I was in seminary, we could speak for an hour and a half a day and we could talk wow. at three meals wow. a year. We were embedded in silence. And all of that just fed the spiritual practices for us. 
So uh, there's no way. And let me be honest. When I chose to leave the priesthood and I ended up getting married, my first question is, how the heck do I do all those things? <laughs> I'm married. I have a wife. I've got kids. I got to go to the grocery store. I have to go to ball games. <laughs> you know, we got to do laundry. How in the world do you do those spiritual practices? There's no way I could practice all the spiritual practices I did in the order mm. as as a Methodist pastor today. But I can pick out one or two here and there and use them for a time and use them for a season. Uh, Suzanne and I used to do pilgrimage. And, and pilgrimage isn't, you know, it's not going to Rome. It wasn't going to Israel. But every single year we would find mm. a time for two or three days to go away on retreat, just the two of us which was a prayerful time uh, for us. We used to have some friends that had a retreat house out in Marfa, and we would go out there. Uh, we went on retreat and would ask somebody like Richard Rohr to give us the retreat work to do when we were in, and we'd go up to New Mexico, the mountains, or Arkansas, the mountains, or something. I, we can choose any of the spiritual practices and disciplines and find times to incorporate them into our lives and allow them to to move us forward going back for me going back always to contemplative prayer or centering prayer and everybody can find 20 minutes every day to just stop and do centering prayer that's been i think those have been the things that have helped me in the times of the times of burnout in ministry because people in the church always want more than you have to offer and priorities has always been important to me. My number one priority is God. My number two priority is Suzanne. <laughs> my number three priority is our kids and now our grandkids. My number four priority is the church. And I lived that way all of the time. So I can remember <laughs> being on staff. Maybe it was at the church with your, where your parents were, Lisa. I can remember being on staff and the pastor asking me to do something. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that my child is going to be in a play and I'm going to be there. And then after the play, we're going to celebrate her. So I'm not going to do what you're asking right. me to do. It was not a happy time, um, <laughs> but I did the right thing <clears throat> in those moments. And I think those are the things that get us past, past the burnout, being willing to be flexible, being very willing to be flexible. I've been ordained now for 49 years and, um, what we do during weddings has changed. Forms of worship have changed. Styles of worship have changed. To be to be willing to be somewhat adaptable and, and remembering that there's someone who's, who's with me all the time, holding me, helping me, informing me, setting an example for me, encouraging me, giving me the grace and the ability to do that. I'm not always going to respond appropriately. I'm not always going to do everything correctly. But my aim always has been to be at the end of my life and say, I don't know if I always did it right. I'm sure I probably didn't. But I would hope people would say about Joe Stabile that throughout his life of ministry, he was faithful. That's what I want people to be able to say. He was faithful to where God was leading, guiding, and calling, and he 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 did it. It's beautiful, Joe, and it's just hearing you feels like holy ground. Feels like a, a moment with the Holy Spirit, and so um, 
I'm, yes, yes. I'm just so grateful. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the, I think, one of the podcasts that I will re-listen to over and over again, if if for no other reason than to hear your voice and the assurance of it that mm-hmm. feels like very much a presence of the Holy Spirit reminding us that we are not alone and that we are held and encouraged. Um, thank you for being with us. Thank you very, very much for asking me. Um, I don't. I, I don't have my book with me. I don't. Um, if you had asked about a prayer, it's that place in Ephesians where it talks about the height and the depth and breath of God, and to be totally immersed in the love of of Christ. You know, and I think that is my prayer. That is my hope because I think that's exactly what happens with the spiritual disciplines and the spiritual practices. You know, I come from a Catholic background, so I don't have the Bible memorized and I can't, you know, quote it verse, chapter and verse, like so many of my brothers and sisters can do. But, but that's important to me because I think that's what happens in spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices that we are, we are immersed and so caught up in, in the presence of the Holy that we we become we become the embodiment of Christ for the world today and people then can experience what people for generations experienced in Christ Jesus. Mm, thanks Joe. Thank you. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. It's great to see the two of you. It's great to talk with you. Honored that you asked me. Thank you. Igniting Imagination is a production of the leadership ministry team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. Check out our show notes and website for more information about all our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.